Here's a question I get from time to time. How come Presbyterians don't talk very often about the devil? I try to answer that question, sometimes with humor, but always with strong affirmations. It goes like this. First, the Bible's not about the devil. The Bible's about God and God's presence and God's promises, God's claim on our lives, God's steadfast faithfulness that goes from everlasting to everlasting, God's victory over evil and death such that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. That's the Christian message. We affirm this good news again today in the baptism of little Grayson. Our lives belong to God, not the devil. Our, our lives are about serving God, not dealing with the devil. Second, the devil is not really very prominent in the Bible. He appears in a few places, and in nearly every instance that the devil appears, he is the instigator of evil. One who's opposed to God or against God. His very name, the devil, means literally the tempter, or maybe even better, the splitting one, the one who splits us or who wants to split us away from God and what God intends. This is what the serpent is doing in the first lesson from Genesis 3 that we just heard. The devil is the embodiment, the name given to those evil forces that come to us and they come very personally maybe speaking to us, maybe trying to lure us away from God's plans, seeking to split us from God's love and God's promises and God's purposes in the world. So here's a way to think about this. Evil is very real. There's no denying that. Evil comes at us personally. We experience it in our person. It touches us specifically. And because it can be personal and real, we might even give evil a face and a being, the devil. So we just add D to the word evil. We will get and see this in just a minute in a story about Jesus. But there's more to be said about the devil. The third point about the devil is very important. Very important. Whenever we come upon the devil or demons or other uh, forms of evil in the Bible, God or Jesus or God's Spirit, God always wins. Evil is real. Evil is part of life. Evil can touch us personally and individually and even closely. But evil, the devil, never holds the day. God holds the day. God holds life. This is the message of Holy Scripture. And then finally... Whenever we encounter the devil in the scriptures, there is no detailed description. Never. He doesn't have horns. He doesn't have a pitchfork. He doesn't have a threatening scowl on his face. He's not a monster. Actually, that would be helpful. That would be nice because when certain moments emerge in our lives, wicked people, Uncertain and destructive temptations, 
when these things emerge in our lives, evil circumstances taking over, we do not always know that it's evil. We don't always recognize how dangerous it is. Think of a scam or some other tricked circumstance. We find ourselves really pretty quickly in various situations and we can be deep into them before we realize we're consumed in an evil mess. We're being taken advantage of by evil people. Moreover, there is nowhere in the Bible a history of where the devil comes from. It's all conjecture. Whenever the devil appears, he just appears, kind of like in our life. Evil can appear. This mostly affirms that evil is present in the world, in our lives. It's real. It's near, often too near to us. Evil and temptation can come at all of us at unexpected and unforeseen moments and in unforeseen ways. The Bible does not ever say where the devil comes from or actually how he looks. He just appears. So all of this is very important to think about. The Bible is always about God and God's pervasive ways over evil, over injustice over death. Be sure to remember that. Whenever anybody wants to talk a lot about the the devil, the devil does not deserve significant emphasis. The devil is not very prominent in the Bible. The devil never wins. God wins. Jesus wins. Life and love always prevail over death and hatred. All of this should keep us focused. All of this should keep us faithful as God's people. So with all that in mind, listen now to one of the prominent passages in the New Testament when the devil does come on the scene. This story is in all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So it's an important story. And I'm reading today from Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward, he was famished. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only God. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of the Lord. So chapter 4 of Matthew's gospel comes right after chapter 3, right? 
You know what chapter 3 is about? Chapter 3 is about the baptism of Jesus. Do you remember the story of Jesus' baptism? It comes right at the end of chapter 3. Just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened, and Jesus saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and alighting on him, it says in Matthew chapter 3. And a voice from heaven says, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. So there's that story. And then chapter 4, verse 1, this story that I just read. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and then we get this verb, He was tempted by the devil. The tempter came and said, if you are the son of God, this. Or if you are the son of God, try that. Or if you are the son of God, how about that? The devil is the tempter. The devil is trying to split Jesus away from God and God's plans for Jesus. The devil is trying to drive a wedge between God's Son, the Beloved, and God's plans for the world through the Beloved. It's a good day to think about how we are tempted. It's easy, even tempting, to think about tempted in terms that are very personal involving our habits, involving our choices, things that touch our lives. It's the season of Lent, and Lent is this season of 40 days leading up to Easter, and Lent gives us a fresh opportunity to consider some of the things that maybe tempt us. And we decide to give up chocolate, maybe, some of us, or caffeine, maybe, or alcohol for Lent. Perhaps we might do this in order to be more disciplined in our lives as disciples. We're going to try to push back a little bit from the table, maybe, and take care how much we eat. We're going to try to watch what we say so our words might better reflect what Jesus would have us say. Or maybe we want to think about how we spend our money because we know that's important discipline as disciples or address some other ongoing temptation. Maybe there is another temptation in your life that you want to work on. It needs attention, something you know that's not helpful for your faithfulness to God. We want to become better people, more loving, more relational, more patient, more kind. This is what God calls us to be about. All of this might be very important to consider. It might be helpful because we're all striving to, you know, be more and more converted, living out our baptisms, living the way Jesus wants us to live, converted in trusting God and serving God. We're always working on this. It's important. But let me reflect on other ways We might be tempted. And I'll be honest. I'm tempted. I'm tempted to be so discouraged. We live in a world where the cruelties are becoming more pervasive. Where the atrocities 
are all too prevalent, where the fractures seem beyond repair. Discouraged. It's easy. Tempting. We get discouraged about politics. We get discouraged about the state of life in our democratic republic. We get discouraged about the injustices that we know are taking place. The polarization. The suffocating environment. Lots of things can get us discouraged. We call ourselves the wealthiest nation in the world and we love our ideals of democracy and justice. We still have children in cages. They may, they may not be our children, so we're tempted not to think about them. What does God expect from us? We have more people in prison in this nation and higher percentages of blacks and Hispanics than any other developed country. They may not be our children, our people, so we're tempted not to think about them. What does God ask of us? We're a nation where the Constitution and the rule of law is supposed to mean something, but we seem to be struggling with truth. What is truth, really? And justice. We say to the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God, liberty and justice for all. Can we say that? Can we say that? It's tempting to be discouraged when we know we are disciples of Jesus. And as disciples of Jesus, we're supposed to defend people who are bullied. There are a lot of people getting bullied these days. We, as Jesus' disciples, are, are supposed to befriend the vulnerable. There are more and more vulnerable people all around us. As disciples of Jesus, we're exposed, supposed to extend kindness in a way that makes other people's loads lighter. A lot of people carrying heavy loads around us. It's tempting to be discouraged when a threatening virus sweeps across the world. Talk of a pandemic is not fake news. This virus can't be blamed on the previous president or on your enemies. You cannot fire this virus cannot impugn its character with baseless attacks. Cannot ask Putin and the Russians to take it away. Can't rage tweet it into exhaustion. We have a dangerous and uncertain situation that calls forth the best from us and our nation, and we're not getting it. It's tempting to be discouraged. It's tempting to just focus on what keeps us comfortable. Why do we have to keep talking about white racism in our Sunday school class? Why? I'm tired of that. No. Can't see it like that. It's tempting to want to avoid it, but we can't. Do we have to think and pray about the people suffering so much in Syria still? It's tempting to want to avoid that too. It's also tempting. Very tempting. When personal crises come close to our hearts and our families. Maybe it's a major health crisis with somebody you love. 
Maybe it's a child in your family who's going through a major problem. Maybe it's something else that's really got your attention. And that's all you think about. It's tempting to lose hope. It's tempting to forget about God's love. It's tempting to forget about God's presence and our pro- God's promises that hold us forever. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? This passage in all these Gospels is super important, not because we get to meet the devil. It is super important because we get to see Jesus and what Jesus does when he's tempted. Jesus is tempted here. When Jesus is tempted, this intends to help us when we're tempted. What are we to do when we're tempted? Tempted to be discouraged. Tempted by so much. Tempted by crises. Tempted by complacency. Tempted by challenges that seem overwhelming. Tempted by loss. Tempted by uncertainty. What are we supposed to do? We reaffirmed on Ash Wednesday in two different moments in the service on Ash Wednesday that we belong to God. We remember who we are and whose we are. That is exactly what Jesus does in this passage. He remembers who he is and whose he is when he's tempted. We do not live by bread alone, he says, but by the promises and the word of God. Jesus lets the promises and the word of God shape him, holds him, sustain him, carry him. We know that life comes with changes and challenges, but we keep trusting God because that's who we are and that's whose we are. We know that we get tired and we get discouraged, but we keep on. We keep seeking to serve God and love God because God never lets us go. So we try to love as God loves and be kind as God is kind and share compassion and empathy and energy because that's what God is always about in Jesus. Friends, Lent is a time to focus on faithfulness, to reclaim God's love and live into it. We have a great opportunity to do that. Reclaim God's love for our lives, our community, our city, our nation, our world, and live into it. Lent is a time to reframe our priorities. Kindness and grace in a mean world. How do we live? Hope and possibility, even against the principalities and powers. How do we live? It's a good time to think about that. Lent is a time to center our lives. What gives us life? What gives us life really? What makes life better? The Word of God will always nourish us. The power of God will always uphold us. The worship, the service of God, that will always strengthen us. And that's always got to be our way 
worship and service, this is what directs us. I want to end this sermon by re-quoting something sent out this week in his second reflections, Roger quoting Kelly Brown Douglas. Martin Luther King spoke of a dream for a different world. He did not surrender to the crucifying realities of the world. He did not permit it to have the last word. This was the power of his black faith. It enabled him to live into the resurrection promise of new life. King often proclaimed that the arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. King's dream was a testament to this arc. So, despite being tempted, we cannot be discouraged. We keep striving, folks, to live by faith, with love, with integrity, with grace, with compassion, with energy, with kindness, with conviction, because it's all toward the wonderful promises and purposes of God that we see in Jesus Christ. That's how we live. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, O oh God, help our unbelief. Focus us for faith, for love, for hope, for light, life and light, living out your promises that we discover in your word, serving you forever. Amen.